Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include but are not limited to professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Your discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ therefore forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we'll be answering the age-old question, can virginity be a non-negotiable when choosing a spouse? Now, this is a episode that we were, we were, if I pull back the curtain and expose the behind the scenes, we were originally planning on doing a different topic, but then Tim, I think you, you ran a bunch of polls uh i think yesterday <laughs> that were that right. were on this topic of of virginity as like a non-negotiable when choosing a spouse and and you got a little bit of pushback right i mean it seems like i uh got the internet a little bit mad at me so <laughs> i, I will <laughs> just, con- <laughs> just ever so slightly huh <laughs> I, I, I will confess that that i i got the internet a little bit mad at me <laughs> But I mean, the originally the topic wasn't really intended to be is uh, virginity and non-negotiable. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is that as I've seen people talk about this uh, topic in general online, it seems that there's a lot of people who, when they talk about the topic of virginity, they are very hesitant to promote it today as a positive good anymore. So this is something mm-hmm, that yeah. really is... Um, it really is a, a troubling phenomenon to watch because growing up, I mean, virginity was something that was obviously praised and it was something that people should aspire to. And then, you know, the idea of saving yourself for marriage and then the idea of, you know, waiting for someone who also saved themselves for marriage, you know, growing up, that was something that was just conceived of as something that was honorable, something to aspire to, something we should that's praiseworthy, something that we should encourage. But then I've noticed over the past few years, especially, you know, as you listen to Christians who talk about these things online, there seems to be a dramatic shift in the way that we understand that objective in general. Uh, you know, almost as if there's something inherently prideful about that, or, or there's something that is just um, ungracious, uh, pharisaical, unforgiving about the idea of someone, you know, waiting, you know, waiting for someone to come along who has saved themselves for marriage. And so I, I, I know that there's a variety of things that have led to that kind of phenomenon, but then, you know, I, I started off the polls basically just trying to talk about virginity in general and trying just to get a feel for where people are at on that topic. Is this something that we should praise? Is this something that we should be seeking uh, to work 
towards, you know, as a society, you know, as a society, should we be striving to, you know, influence people to such a degree that that uh, concept is something that we once again hold in honor and that we're aspiring towards and that we're praising, you know, are people in agreement with that basic proposition? And then, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in doing the polls is that I think most people are on board with that project in general. It's just that I, I don't, think that there's widespread agreement on how we go about doing that. In fact, I, I think that anything that we do that would pursue that objective in general is going to be something that people are going to be hostile to. So, you know, as I'm looking out at this discussion in general and seeing the way that people are commenting on it and how they're reacting to, you know, the manosphere in general that is uh, talking about this topic, it it seems pretty obvious and pretty clear that there really isn't much we can do to actually try to work towards a society that once again values this concept. It seems like any you know mechanism that we pursue in general is going to be viewed as suspicion, and so part of you know the way the polls you know evolved, <laughs> as far as that's concerned, is that um, you know as people are responding to me, I'm trying to just get a feel for where they're at on this topic and the things that are allowed. You know what are the, what are the mechanisms that are allowed to try to pursue um, encouraging people to pursue virginity again and it doesn't seem like there's much of anything that we can do really that people would be on board with as it relates to that topic <laughs> yeah so um i guess when it came like when it comes to um you mentioned that it seems like virginity is basically like almost scorned sure. in our society right and and it's viewed it's viewed mainly as a um yeah, like the sort of fair, pharisaical, you know, hey, get off your high horse and come down to the rest of us sure. kind of thing to, you know, to to remain a virgin, uh, per, you know, like uh, and save yourself for marriage. So I guess why why is it when I read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, one of the things that I see is that virginity is viewed um, or it's esteemed extremely highly sure like it like like it's a shameful thing to not be a virgin especially as a woman uh until you know until you're married obviously uh and it even you can even incur you know fines uh and legal punishments for not being sure. a virgin right and so so we're going from you know that kind of society it was criminalized <laughs> it's it criminalized yeah i mean like like could, could you could you imagine laws criminalizing that kind of thing nowadays like the total and utter bash backlash that uh a government might face for trying to enforce something like that um but so so you have this sort of transition from it's extremely important to it's almost like a badge of shame in a lot of ways to remain a virgin uh, uh going into marriage like a lot most people and and honest, if we're being honest here, even a lot of Christian people would say, hey, you've got to get some experience first before you go and get married, right? Uh, you but, need to know what you're doing, right? Yeah. We, so, I mean, you definitely have uh, different reactions along those lines. I mean, you have the progressive reaction, which is essentially, you know, progressive Christians are, are definitely going to be advocating it just, you know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with fornication. We, um, like that's just normal, natural, maybe get some experience and everything else. That isn't necessarily what um, the conservative Christian world would be. So, you know, you do have to think through the different camps and how they're responding to this subject in general, but definitely on the progressive side of things, that's definitely true. But but where were you going with that? 
Yeah. So the question was basically just how did we get um, to a place? How did we get from this is extremely important to this is almost like a badge of shame, essentially? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that ha- have happened that have led us to that place where now people really don't know what to do with this concept. And so, you know, part of what's happening is that we're living in the wreckage of the sexual revolution, essentially. So we're living on the other side of that. And, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, remarkable developments that we've experienced even since I was, you know, growing up. So, I mean, when I was growing up, I was still growing up in a time where people would encourage virginity. I was, I was growing up in a time where people would honor someone's decision to you know stay a virgin like christians would largely do that and then they would warn people against like promiscuous women you know so i grew up in a time where you know my um you know my parents and my pastor my church you know they they would all warn they would warn young men against you know promiscuous women and against choosing them for marriage partners even and so you know i grew up in that kind of world to where like those things were still on the table and part of what's happened is that the sexual revolution is really i mean it's just such a uh, it's so dramatically changed the landscape of our world that now it's it's just a foregone conclusion that one men are going to look at porn, and then two women are going to sleep around. You know, so mm-hmm. so now when I say that, I mean people have to understand what I'm trying to say because I don't want to be misunderstood at that point. But I mean, for the most part, like you know, the vast majority of men today, the vast majority of young men are looking at porn, and the vast majority of young women today are sleeping around with you know, a few men. Okay. That's just kind of how it works. And so, so a a lot of, um, a lot of young men aren't fornicating like in the same percentages as young women, but that's just kind of how it works. And so like we're living in a time right now where it's just assumed that it's going to happen and we just need to deal with it. Right. And so, you know, as you listen to church voices on this, there, there really is, um, We've lost much of a sexual ethic. I mean, when you have people like Jen Wilkins and J.D. Greer basically saying things like the Bible whispers about sexual sin, you know that you're living in a time that is filled with great confusion surrounding this kind of area. Because, I mean, there's, I mean, you you have to understand something. I mean, like when you read the Bible, one of the most serious things that is brought up as you read the pages of scripture over and over and over again is the seriousness of sexual sin and all of its forms and all of its varieties. I mean, you, you know, you can think about first Corinthians six eighteen at that point where Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy spirit within you whom you've had from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your own body. So when you think about that, like we're living in a time right now where promiscu- like promiscuity is rampant, and we're living in a time right now where it's just kind of expected that this is normal. And, and a lot of what happens when, you, when uh, those are the terms of the arrangement is that people really begin to, um, they, they don't know how much they've normalized this thing. So like when you listen to people talk about something like fornication one of the things that happens is that people talk about it as if it's just any you know garden variety of sin hey you gossip you know i fornicate you know who are we to judge it's no big deal right i mean oh <laughs> uh, that, that was a good one hey man you know like hey i you know i tell a little white lies to my kids every once in a while you slept with 70 people. I mean, basically right. the same thing, right? It's, it's same thing. <laughs> I mean, but you know, it's true. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's essentially where, um, JD Greer and J 
Jen Wilkins were getting their impulse from as, as far as that's concerned. So we're living in a time where just things have dramatically changed. I mean, I, growing up when I watched TV, like there, there wasn't, you know, the unmarried couple who were living together on TV. I mean, they wouldn't even put that on TV. Okay. And now you're watching right. shows right now. And that's just the major premise. You know, the young people, they live together, they sleep together. It's just kind of a foregone conclusion. It's assumed. And so when you think about that kind of world, the world that we're living in with, with uh, those kind of things that are happening, you know, invariably Christians' moral intuitions on these things have dramatically changed. Like we, we, we don't think about these things the way that we used to. We don't think about like losing your virginity as something that's deeply shameful. And part of that is because that, you know, um, there's the, the sexual morals have loosened. So part of it's that, but then part of it is that like, we're living in a, a bit of a matriarchal society too, at this point. And and like there used to be these societal mechanisms that would shame women for being promiscuous in particular. And then, um, you know, what, what's happened is a lot of people would look at those societal mechanisms that would shame uh, women in particular for being uh, promiscuous. I mean, we call them, you know, you call that slut shaming or whatever. And less people, you know, get bent out of shape about me repeating what it's called. I mean, you have to understand the Bible does this kind of thing over and over again. I mean, you can just like look in, look in the Bible and just look up the word, you know, whore and the word whore shows up in 34 vo- uh, verses in the Bible. So the Bible, God would call, you know, promiscuous women whores without any kind of apology. But then like we're living in a society right now where like there, there's this demand that you have to shelter women from all shame in general. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a lot of women who are sleeping around and that's just what the stats bear out, then one of the things that happen is that like we we resent like the fact that there might be um, any double standards along those lines with how we treat one gender and another gender. And then what's happened is that like it's demanded that we basically shelter women from all shame in, in those ways. And so part of what's going on in a discussion like this is that it, there's this demand that you can't um, – you know, a lot of this is really about like you can't like slut shame essentially, right? So you have to like be validating, you have to be encouraging, you can't present this in a bad way that's going to make women look bad. And so a lot of that's like a lot of those things are the kind of things that are coming out in this kind of conversation to where there's this duty that we have to protect people from, you know, all the shame that's associated with their bad actions. And a lot of that really. Like, you know, unfortunately, that is kind of a female impulse in general. It's kind of like a mama bear impulse to protect people from, you know, the consequences of a bad reputation along those lines. And sure, so, yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine how it works with any sin that a man would commit. Like, any sin that a man would commit is just open season, right? So, like, anything, like, you could ask these questions, like, in different lines. Like, if you're talking about a man's sin, like, it's just, you know, there's um, freedom to to go after that kind of man and make certain kind of pronouncements along those lines. If it's a woman's sin, then there's just different rules. And that's part of the, the way the discussion has to go. So, so part of it is our sexual, like, to make to shorten what I'm talking about, I mean, part of it is our sexual like morals have relaxed. So we don't view fornication with the shock and outrage and scandal that we did in a, in a past generation. And then part of it is that we're like, it's so rampant and, so many people are engaging in it and there's this kind of demand that you can't um, heap additional shame on it, right? So you have to kind mm-hmm. of protect, yet particularly you have to protect women from the shame of, you know, um, bad actions along those lines too. 
So, so there's, what, there's more so, to it than that, but that's part of it. And so then, sure, yeah. And then, and then when you have the manosphere trying to regain like a lot of the impulses that we used to have as a society, uh, basically saying, "Hey, there's consequences to fornication," and you know, um, there's consequences to these kind of things that used to be considered dishonorable, and maybe men shouldn't want to be married to women who sleep around a lot. Like maybe they shouldn't. You know, so with the manosphere making those kind of um, pronouncements and along those lines, then I think it kind of radicalizes certain Christian women too in a certain way to where they, they're just kind of reacting to, um, you know, the men going their own way crowd, uh, some of the manosphere kind of crowd. And it just, it's not, uh, I, I don't think we're being reasonable, you know, as we're talking about these things. So when it comes to the Old Testament and the value that they placed on virginity, why, why was that value Place there. What's so important about virginity that the Israelites were told, you know, to esteem it so much? Well, I mean, part of it's what what I read in First Corinthians in terms of just the nature of sexual sin. I mean, there's there's something uniquely destructive about sexual sin, according to God's design. And I mean, when you think about it, like it doesn't really, um, like if you take God out of the equation, it's one of those things where if you just stand back. This is just some sort of biological function that human beings are engaging in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that th- like if you just step like fully into an evolutionary worldview, none of it makes any sense, right? I mean, like, like ag- animals don't agonize over all of these things, right? So, like in the animal kingdom, like if one animal rapes another animal, no one really thinks much of it. It's just like animals in heat doing what animals in heat do, right? So, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, you, t- you step fully into an evolutionary worldview, none of it makes sense. But then, like, for, you know, from the biblical standpoint, there's something that, you, you know, there's something, there's there's things that are very significant that are happening there. Um, like, meaning, like, so the New Testament would describe this as a sin against the body itself, right? So, um, you know, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, right? Or you, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So there's something like that happens when people have sex that, you know, explains why we still have outrage with things like rape and we still have outrage with things like pedophilia. Like there's something happening there that God is communicating that's like significant. And so in the language of the Bible, mm-hmm. what's happening there is like to become one, to become one flesh. That's a big deal. Like, um, God's designed that, uh, designed sex to be a good thing that, that is good within its context. And so it's good within the context of marriage, but then it's one of those things that's a uniquely destructive kind of thing. Um, Two, so you know, under the terms of the old covenant, you know, if a woman was found to, on her wedding night, to not be a virgin, there was no evidence of virginity to be found. She was to be stoned to death with stones, because one of the things that God wanted to do was He wanted to, um, like He wanted to guard this sin, right? He wanted to guard this act and put it in its appropriate context. And so, if you imagine the way God made people, uh, God made people to procreate. He's filled like men and women with desires to procreate. He's filled them by, with biological urges to procreate, with biological urges to couple, right? So he's filled them with all these things, and he said, hey, it's good for you to do this within the context of marriage. And then if you just take a step back and you think about, well, what happens when you don't? Well, just look around the world that you live in right now, and you'll see all the consequences of people trying to get this thing that they're made 
to do outside the context of marriage. I mean, think about all the abortion that's happened as a result of, you know, people who are not having sex in the context of marriage. Think about all the problems of single motherhood that happen because kids are not, uh, are, because, you know, people are not having sex within the context of marriage. Think about like the, the fallout that happens when men and women divorce, right? So you think about right, the fallout that right. happens with divorce. Like you think about the fallout that happens with, um, um, you know, affairs, you know, the Bible says that if a man, uh, has, um, commits adultery, uh, he is abhorred by the Lord, right? He falls into a pit, a deep pit. He's abhorred by the Lord uh, in that kind of way because it's just a destructive, I guess, a destructive sin for the society. But then part of the thing, one of the things that you can't really say is it's a really destructive sin for the individual. I mean, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and one of the things I've seen in the context of marriage counseling is that, you know, when people attach, you know, like to each other in the context of fornication, like there are entailments to that. Like it, you like when you join yourself with another human being in that kind of way. Uh, I mean, it, the the way I often describe it, and I've heard it d- described, is I mean, it's like you know, gluing two things together and then trying to pull them apart. When you do that, there's gonna be destruction when you pull them apart, right? Because when mm-hmm. you join two things together, the Bible says, "Let no one separate." Well, when you try to separate these things that have been joined together like that. I mean, you tear them apart in the process of doing that. And so, you know, like the Bible says, like if someone commits adultery, wounds and dishonor he'll get, right? Uh, When you talk about like fornication, the same thing is happening there. There's deep, deep emotional wounds. There's deep like psychological wounds. I mean, often there's deep like physical wounds even that come from that. And, And often like these wounds, they really do affect women to a much greater degree than men because women are made to like attached to men they're made to connect with men they're made to like conform themselves to men they're made to follow men and so what you what what often happens like in the context of counseling is you have two people who have you, you know just a long history of sexual baggage that they bring into the relationship what it, what often happens is like in particular like the guys just like well hey let's move on right let's move on uh, it's in the past, so, you know, move on. Like I'm willing to, you know, quote unquote, forgive the, uh, the woman and w- like for whatever she's done in the past, I want to be forgiven from that. Let's move on. But for women, I mean, often it's just a source of like um, temptation for them in a wide variety of ways. I mean, it's just like um, they've given themselves to man after man after man after man and they've given part of themselves to all these men and they can't just take it back, you know? Like it just... Right. Um, like in a lot of ways, like it's it like affects their ability to love their husband, like to respect their husband, to follow their husband, to want to give themselves to their husband. Like this act, which was supposed to be good, is now tempted to be viewed as shameful and dirty. Uh, you know, the husband who wants this act from his wife, like the wife is tempted to view him with suspicion. Like, why do you want this thing? Like all men, all they want from me is this one thing. And you're just like all these other men who want this thing from me, right? You just want to use me. You just want to take from me. And I don't trust you and you know i mean there's there's a lot of entailments to that like i mean like i i know very few people who if they could like change um the nature of like their past if they could redo it and not have the sexual sin in there like i know very few people who would just like looks you know look in the mirror and say hey 
I'm glad I did that, right? Now, I mean, there's a sense in which with God's sovereignty, we can look at it and say, hey, God works all things together for good. His plan is the best, and he included that as part of his plan. But then there is this sense in which it's so destructive. It's so destructive to your relationships. You feel the echoes of it in so many different ways that the vast majority of people would say, hey, you know, that didn't help my marriage, right? <laughs> now, yeah, now, God, yeah. like in the sense of like that introduced problems into my marriage that would not have existed if we didn't go that route. And so, I mean, it's not good for society. It's not good for marriage. I mean, the best thing you can do is just encourage people to flee that sin, just as the Bible says, and look for people who, you know, haven't gone that route, if possible, for sure. Okay. So turning our, you know, now that we've, now that we've talked through a lot of that and the, you know, uh, and gain sort of an understanding of, you know, like why virginity is so important. Uh, let's go back to the title question. Can virginity be a non-negotiable when choosing a spouse? So is, is that, you know, like should, should that be instead of can virginity, should virginity be a non-negotiable when choosing a spouse? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very hard to answer it as a should, you know, so a lot of the polls. Were, <laughs> I, I was trying to get you there. <laughs> a lot of the polls were designed to try to um, answer it, you know, it, can it be? And I think that that's a, a much easier uh, question to ask. You know, now, if you're going to ask, like, should it be, then, you know, I would want to add a lot more qualifications considering where we're at in history and everything else. And so, yeah, I mean, let's say that you have a guy who's... Um, looked at porn his whole life and technically, you know, he's never, uh, fornicated with anyone because he's, but, but I mean, he is filled with lust. So should that guy, you know, hold out for a virgin because he saved himself as a virgin? Well, I would, I would think that, yeah, Hey, there's something hypocritical about that. Sure. And if he were to, you know, raise it to a level of ought, like, should he, like, should he, like, is there a moral duty to do that? Well, I don't know that we're living in the kind of society right now to where, um, like we have the mechanisms we need in place to go fully that. I mean, it, 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 for a lot of people, it may it may very well be that they're waiting a long period of time because there's just like math is against them in that way, right? Um, right. And, yeah. And you can pray all day long, but you know, God, um, He's not going to rewrite history in accordance with your prayer. And if there's a lot of people who are in that same kind of boat and they're making that same kind of that same kind of stance, I mean, sometimes you do have to deal with what is and not what you would want want to be. And so we are where we are, and you have to. I mean, part of you just you do have to deal with where we're at in that way. Um, okay. So now, so part part of it's just like um, simple mathematical kind of discussion along those lines. But but I mean, uh, another aspect to trying to answer that should that uh, should I, I mean I, I would say that not everyone um, I, I don't know how to word this in a way that's not going to get me in trouble but I'm going to try like not um, <laughs> people good luck people, good luck yeah. man this is the internet <laughs> yeah um, I try my best to be as careful as possible you know knowing that I'm going to probably be misunderstood but um, there, there's an, a, a lot of people what they heard when we're asking the question can can it be like, is it permissible for it to be a non-negotiable? They're hearing the language of should. And then when I'm warning about, Hey, the consequences of, uh, fornication and things along those lines, what they're hearing is, well, so you're saying that someone who fornicated now, um, intrinsically has made themselves to be, uh, an unsuitable marriage partner. That's kind of what they heard. Right. Right. And that's not what I said, but 
let me step into that and try to answer your question by stepping into that. Like, like we did, we did do the poll on, um, you know, is it okay to not marry a porn star essentially, right? <laughs> to make it a non-negotiable. <laughs> Definitely. Nobody, nobody is asking those questions, but right. us, man. <laughs> All right. Well, so God, like for the priest, right? So for the priest, God made it, um, non-negotiable for the priest. Okay. Okay. And then, and you have to ask yourself, well, why did he require the priest not to like to marry a virgin and not a widow, even when they're supposed to take care of widows? It's honorable to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And you know, in order to try to even um, give an answer to something like that, I mean, I, I I would ask you to imagine what John John MacArthur's life would be like if he would if he were to have married a former porn star or something along those lines. And I mean, those are the kind of things that you, like, let's say that he just gets out of seminary, right? He just gets out of seminary. He was wanting to give his life to a church. He just gets, you know, maybe he's just hired at a church. And like, would that be a helpful, like, is he suited, like, as like with the way that God has made him, his background is, like, is he suited to take on the responsibility of helping to sanctify a former porn star who just got out of the business or something like that right like mm-hmm. would that be helpful for his life pattern to have like the pastor's wife have videos of her on the internet that everyone is looking at right and right and every time he makes a, a statement about what the bible says they're you know let's say he's doing that on the internet they're posting videos of his wife non-stop on the internet and everything else and so i mean i i would i would say that i don't think that everyone it makes a suitable, like, obviously the Bible says, marry whom you will marry in the Lord, but that doesn't mean that every single quote-unquote believer is a suitable helper, right? A helper suitable for every single man. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, Are you are you essentially saying that it's like a wisdom decision at that point? Or I would just say are, that, you, are you putting uh, it in a higher category than wisdom? Yeah, I mean, I think you need to marry wisely, right? Like, at the very least, you need sure. to marry wisely, and you have to think about who is going to be a suitable helper for you with the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you. And so part of this is a discussion about suitability in general. Like, you do have to think through, like, what has God given me to do, right? Like, in this sure. life. Yeah. And yeah. is the woman I'm going to marry, like, you can you can just marry anyone, but it may be that if you make a wise marriage choice, they're going to help you in life and ministry. And if you make a really poor marriage choice, it may be a thorn in your flesh that you have to deal with, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It may be technically permissible, but then like it may just make make things very hard on you, like in that way. Uh, so you you know, like you can look at some of the ladies on Twitter who used to be former like. OnlyFans people or whatever else, and you can, you know the kind of people I'm talking about, who are constantly posting all the immodest selfies of themselves, you know, week in and week out. I mean, can you imagine John MacArthur trying to take that on as a young pastor, trying to persuade his new, you know, newly converted wife to quit posting so many immodest selfies, you know, and she doesn't understand why that's wrong and what's even happening and you know everything else. Like, I mean, can you imagine, like that man trying to do that ministry like you know what he would have to do is he would just have to say hey i'm going to step out of the ministry i'm not going to pursue yeah, the ministry yeah. for a long period of time and devote myself to like get my household in order essentially get it in order and i'm going to have to you know whereas if he married like a wise woman 
right? Who doesn't have any scandal attached to her, any kind of history attached to her. They could be off to the races immediately and very quickly, right? They're not having yeah. to wade through all the baggage of this past. And and so, so a lot of what's happening in this kind of discussion is, I mean, if you imagine what kind of kids you're trying to raise, right? Like, I don't think we should be trying to raise the kind of kids who were, we're like, okay, kids, let's go into the brothel and let's uh, evangelize these ladies because we're looking for a wife for you, right? Like, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, so the most just, extreme form of of dating evangelism I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone like now. So, I mean, I'm just just be realistic about what you're saying and think about what you're saying, okay? Like, I mean, sure. is that is that your like wife finding plan for your kids, or do you? Or do you want your kids to be a lot further along than you were and not filled with all the baggage that you had to deal with, right? You know, like, do you want to like, kind of protect them from all the mess of the world and they don't have to deal with all that? And then, like, so so then, and then you're raising them and they're just much further along in the Christian life. And then, you know, if they could technically find someone who's a lot further along in the Christian life, who's not weighed down by all the same kind of baggage— I think in that kind of arrangement, like you can imagine how that could go a lot better, right? It could just mm-hmm. make, I mean, they, maybe it would open up doors for them within the kingdom that wouldn't be opened up if it's just like, hey, um, all right, you know, go go marry Gomer, right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah, like you, yeah. you, you understand, like, the, there's just, now you can do it. You can be faithful, Hosea, marrying Gomer. Like, that's, that's the point. I mean, you can, uh, but then, you know, the, like, there's just, I mean, the reality is that sin is destructive and um, there there are people who God have has uh, suited for particular callings and particular you know missions that he's uh, given to them based on his gift and talents and abilities and, and so so you do have to think about like when you're marrying how suited are you and will people help you in this or will they be just a major holding you back kind of thing to where, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you can you, at the end of 10 years, at the end of 15 years, like you can you know, a godly man can take um like if 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 you just want to use it in the patronizing sense, you know, and people can just yell at me if they want, but whatever. I mean, you could take on a project. You can take on a sanctification project as a man, right? And right. you can work on that and you can work on that and you can work on that and 15 years later it's unrecognizable. It's like, look at what God did. But that is going to restrict some of the things you're able to do in the Christian life too. Okay, and sure. so you have to yeah. be honest about that. So I don't. So just to give you, a, I've been rambling too long, but to, to say, is there a should? I would just say, I, I wouldn't want to say there's like an absolute should, but you do have to take stock of who you are, you know, what God's gifted you to do. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you you probably don't want to be a politician. Like if if got, if you've pursued a life, a career, a politician, like there's certain marriage choices you may not want to make because you you just have to think in different terms, you know, or things like that. So a lot of that is more of a wisdom call based on who who God's called you to be at certain levels, mm-hmm. like related to the should should you know. I so I, there may be a soft should, a soft should depending. A soft on, should, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, not uh, an absolute, the, but a, a soft, yep. Okay. Uh, now, one of the one of the objections to what you're saying that I saw a lot from people interacting with the you know polls was this idea that you know God obviously forgives sexual sin, right? Sure. So he he forgives um, sin, and you know as it you know 
assuming the person is repentant and putting their faith and trust in Christ as their only hope uh, for salvation and deliverance from God's wrath, God God is more than happy to forgive that sin. Now, what they were what people were objecting to was they're essentially saying, well, hey, God is uh, God's forgiving the sin. So if He is forgiving the sin, then we need to treat that person essentially as if those things are totally irrelevant. So like whatever sexual past you might have, that's totally irrelevant. Uh, assuming you've repented of those sins, um, because God has forgiven you, you know, all men need to treat all women who were sexually uh, active before marriage uh, or, you know, addicted to porn or whatever. You need to treat them as if they were, as if they never were, you know, never and, happened. And, yeah. Uh, like serve pro. Right. And, you know, and I think some people were now, I don't, <laughs> I don't think as many people were saying that the the man should, you know, treat the woman the same way, the same way as the woman treating the man. Right. But essentially, you know, the objection, the general objection was just to say, hey, since God has forgiven them, you need to treat it like it never happened. Right. So so what what's your response to that sort of objection? Well, there's a yes. And, I mean, yes, there's a yes to that. And there's like a no to that. And, and I mean, everyone would understand exactly what we're talking about if you just try to conceive of how we treat pedophiles in the church. Okay. You know, I mean, I know that that feels offensive, but you like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm trying to ask people to think logically about this and less with their emotions. Okay. So sure. like meaning like if you just think about how, I mean, how many like scandals have there been uh, with pastors who have married former pedophiles, Right. Mm-hmm. But not only like married former pedophiles, but let former per- pedophiles be members of their church. So, I mean, we have a category for like destructive effects of sin. Now, I would want to be like, you know, like where I get myself in trouble is I'm going to get those pastors back for marrying those guys. Uh huh. I mean, I, I, I mean, if they think they've repented of their sins, I don't know what, like, you know, let me say something that's even more shocking than anything I've said so far, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't understand what authority a pastor has to say, no, I will not marry you to this person who wants to marry you when, you know, she's convinced you're repentant and you're, you know, we have a track record of looking at it as you seem repentant to us. I don't know what authority a pastor has to say, well, I'm just not going to marry you um, mm-hmm. b- because I believe the things that people are saying at this point even more strongly than they believe them. Do you understand what I mean? Like sure. I'm willing, I'm willing to say, I'm willing, I believe him so much. I'm willing to say what I just said that, you know, I, you know, honestly, I pray that never, the day never comes where a repentant pedophile comes to my church and wants me to marry them to a woman who wants me to marry them. I pray that that never happens because I will literally be drug across the internet for years, you know, by people right. screaming at me right. and I don't have any choice but to marry them. I don't know what they want me to do. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, right. And they will scream at me and try to ruin my life if I do that. So I pray that that actually doesn't happen to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. But, even given the fact that they like from, you know, in every way possible that you could ever confirm it, they seem repentant and genuine right. in their faith. So I would, right? actually, I would actually marry them. And like, you know, they may drag me on the internet for saying I would marry them. You get what I'm saying? So yeah, I believe, yeah. I believe these things is more 
or then I, I believe them more than anyone else believes them. Like that's the thing. Like I, I really believe that everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. And I believe we need to think the best about people. And I believe that we need to, um, like you can't just um, treat them like, like if they're repentant, they're repentant. And you have to like now, I mean, I also agree that you shouldn't put them at serve in the nursery. You understand what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's certain limitations where you're like, so, yeah, so you, you, I, you I can probably believe, just never do this. I, I definitely right. believe that you sh- that that there are safeguards to these kind of things, and like, and yeah, I wouldn't have them serve in the nursery, and I think that there's cautions that you need to have related to that kind of topic. But the only reason I bring this up is because I, I really do have a category for saying, hey, yeah, there are some sins that are pretty grievous, right? Gr- grievous kind of sins that have long-lasting effects, and. You know, you have to exercise great caution in how you handle these kind of sins. So you think about something like a pedophile. I would say, hey, yeah, um, my daughter wants to marry a repentant pedophile. Yeah, I'm I'm going to warn her against. Like, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Do you know what you're signing up for? Right? Do, mm-hmm. do you do you know what you're what you're what you're considering here? Right? Um, how cl- clear are we that this is repentance that we're looking at? How long have of a period of time do have we had to look at this and know what we're looking at? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, sure, uh, yeah. Like, do we know what we're looking at? Is this repentance? Is this fake repentance, right? Is this Judas repentance? Is this real repentance? Uh, because like, you're making a decision that's going to dramatically affect your life, um, and you better know what you're looking at you, you understand what i'm saying and you better yeah. know that you better know that they're, that they're past it and that like yeah this is going to be a new situation so like i have basically i just i have a category for warning like i have a category for saying hey it's it's over with but then yeah you know what like um honey you know sweetheart <laughs> precious <laughs> um you know, he just got out of jail for killing someone. You know, maybe we should give us some time. Let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, let's give it a little time here. You know, like, uh, do do we? Um, um, yeah, I'm. I, I hope he's repentant too. Uh, but we don't know him very well, and can we be like these? There's a lot that you're asking us to to overlook here, and we just we need to know what we're, we know here. And so, like, but Dad, we, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, you know, when he forgives us, he casts casts it into the depths of the sea and remembers it so more. So we don't want to be Pharisees, you know, and all that. And it's like no, I've already for, I've already forgotten. <laughs> I've already, yeah. So so the 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 issue though is um so the only thing this is about then. So we have like the issue is we have categories already for this kind of thing. We know what they are. The only thing this is about is well, how serious is fornication? Like, right. and that's the only question that matters. So, like, if yeah. you take the emotion out of it, it, like the issue is like post-sexual revolution, fornication is as common as water now, right? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like it's the air we breathe. Every sitcom we watch is telling us it's not a big deal. There's no consequences to it. It's just like shaking someone's hand, you know, or something like that. And it's like, that's just not what it is in the Bible. And so then what what's happening is like we've totally lost the horror of fornication, but we still have that horror that's associated with pedophilia. But then the, you know, the issue is when you read the Bible, what you're going to see is they had that horror associated with fornication 
And I'm not persuaded that J.D. Greer and Jen Wilkins have the right kind of emotional reaction to this sin, right? Yeah. That oh, Bible, like like pretty much the total opposite of what the reaction should right, be. Right, right. So I think the reaction should be more like the pedophilia kind of reaction. And I don't know, like, and I get why we're not there because it's so common. But, you know, to the extent to which we can say, hey, this is actually a really big deal. Can you wake up for a second, please? You know, mm-hmm. I think that'll actually help us as a society to just to put a little bit of brakes on that. It, now, the problem is the moment you do that, the moment you say, hey, this is really serious. And I don't think you know what you're like. We don't want to trivialize this. God does not trivialize it. He treats it like really like a really, really big deal. The moment you do that, though, people like the concerns are like you don't want to shame people who like have that in their past and they've repented of it and then you you know you're trying to treat them as a second class citizen and and all i would do is i would just look at you and say hey we're not that concerned about it with pedophilia so maybe we should we have a category for it maybe we should just like like maybe it's good for a society for us like when we do shameful things for people to respond as if we did something shameful maybe that's okay you know and maybe that's not going to kill everyone and like and maybe we can just try to make it uh relearn how to think about it in a serious way and i think we've lost that a little bit you know what what was really sort of the final <laughs> nail in the coffin for me when it came to people on the opposite side of this issue was i was i was getting ready for tonight and i was looking through some of the some of the posts you had made on twitter just to kind of i i just wanted to see hey what was some of the pushback we were getting so that i knew to bring it up when we were talking about this and one of the tweets that I saw was a you you actually retweeted it on the podcast um, uh, profile on Twitter, and it was someone who was disagreeing with you. And they said, you know, I, I want to read the tweet because I think I think this will be helpful for people. Um, it, it's a, it's pulled out of a larger conversation, which I'm not going to read the whole conversation right now. Uh, I don't have it pulled up. I just have the one tweet, but it says. <laughs> That is how it works. If God doesn't remember our past sins, what makes you think that he wants us to remember others' pasts? Only, this is is the real good part right here, only in the case of child molestation should the past sin be a factor. And I read that and I just kind of started, if I'm being honest, I just busted out laughing because, you know, the the inconsistency of that tweet should be obvious right away. Right. You know, we'll, we'll like, all right, point one, if God forgives sin, you know, point one, God forgives sin. Point two, if God per, uh, forgives sin, we should forget it as well. Right. right. Uh, and, and not, not and, let it factor into our decision-making process and it, at all. Right. It, sh- it should not be a factor in any way whatsoever. Point three, it should be a factor if they molested a child. You know, right. it's like, well, hang hang on. Why? You know, like, why? I mean, legit, seriously, if that's right. your stance, then why? Why is it? Why is that the thing? And, you know, all that exposes is that there should be there should be a lot of weight put on all of these sexual sins. But then, like you said earlier, our society only only, you know, weighs a small portion of them. 
Right. So, Main, you, you know, so, so that for me, that was like the thing that's like, oh, come on. I mean, any, I was, gra- I was, any grace uh, yeah. I was trying to give to your, your position, like you throw it away when you say something like that. Yeah, I mean, and I was I was shocked and scandal. I mean, I was I'm not shocked like in the sense of, like I understand how that reaction can come about. It's just like, yes, it, there's nothing. Like we've just kicked logical consistency out the door when you make that kind of thing. Right, now, right. I now I saw one of our followers make a comment to that and basically explaining the backstory. And I mean, apparently, in the backstory for that lady is that she was. Um, I, I don't know, maybe she was she was raped as a child or something like that, and that's why that, that um, inconsistency on her part is particularly pronounced. Mm-hmm. But then, so that, the, the issue is that that gives you some context for why an individual would respond so inconsistent, inconsistently in that way. Right. Sure. Yeah. That, that that if that's true, and I don't I don't know anything about that kind of situation. I'm I'm just taking followers' word from that. That's just what I saw just a few minutes ago. But like, so p- part of it is that like, hey, yeah, I think like being a human being, you can look at something like that, and your heart can go out to an individual who's been in that kind of situation. But then one of the things that tells you is that like that individual is by no means qualified to sort these issues out. Do, do you see sure. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like in, in part of, part of what's happening in these kind of discussions is like being a counselor. I've been, I mean, I've counseled me, like man after man after man who married the girl who used to be promiscuous and now she's cold and she's frigid and she's, you know, projecting all the faults of all these guys onto her husband. And now she's like rejecting him, like depriving him of his conjugal rights because um, she was harmed by these men, right? Like in the process of, of, of all this. And, and so now like he has to be understanding of the fact that he married a woman who is not giving to him and not there for him and not kind and sweet and a wife to him, but views him as like deeply resentful and is projecting all of her shame from the past onto him in order to rob him. Right. And so like in that kind of scenario, it's like, well, yeah, those men are victims too. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so those, those men are victims too of the decisions of that woman that she voluntarily made before she was married they're sure. victims of those yeah. things and so what what's happening though is it's like you're not allowed to say hey they're a victim too and like these choices in the past had consequences that now these men are living through that if they would if they would have been wiser in their marriage choice they wouldn't have had to deal with do you, you see what i'm saying so if they would have yeah, treated yeah. that woman with you know the 20 sexual partners like you want to treat the the ex-pedophile right because of what you went through then they wouldn't be going through what they're going through either do, do you see what i'm saying and so mm-hmm. then if you're going to say that like their concerns are not relevant and the only people who need to be protected are women then you're just you're living in a like a like a very um, one-sided kind of world, and so my interest, my interest here is not to 
take the guy's side. My interest is just to be a neutral umpire who's looking at this situation and saying, hey, all sexual sin is really damaging, okay? Yeah, like it all yeah. has a lot of consequences and like people don't factor in all the consequences that they may experience from sexual sin. They don't factor it all in, right? Uh, when they're making these kind of marriage choices. And so like if there's a person who wants to say, hey, um, I'm going to take this so seriously that I'm going to save myself for marriage and I want to hold out for someone who does too. You know, my impulse is just to say, hey, yeah, I want to encourage you in that because that would save you a lot of headache, you know. Um, and that's a that's a noble thing and that's a good thing and that treats virginity as honorable and it treats it as good. And I, I'm not going to be your accusers who are accusing you and, you know, calling you self-righteous and a Pharisee and everything else. I'm just going to say, okay, you know, I you know what, it would be better for society if everyone would think that way and everyone mm-hmm. would be so, so afraid of this that they wouldn't even want to go there at all. Right. Um, right. And, and, and there's obviously like, you know, people are going to mess up, you know, but then, um, and, and, you know, there's, there's all this, you know, grace and mercy and compassion and everything else. There's all that stuff. And there's examples of God just remarkably delivering people from all the chains of their, you know, bondage of their past very quickly, you know, but I, I just think having some prudence and having some wisdom and thinking through what you're trying to say uh, in, in your position is important along these lines. And so, but yeah, that, that comment, you know, in short, that comment is definitely um, a comment that is just in terms of logic, right? If you take all the emotion out of it, it's yeah. just like, it exposes that there's a lot of people who are unable to think about these topics with their brains, right? Okay. Uh, they're all, they're only thinking about them with their emotions, uh, really. Right. And right. And we and we don't we don't need that, right? Like we don't need that. Um, what no, we need that's is not a helpful way. Yeah. Uh, we we have to be able to use our brains on these like these kind of questions and answer them mm-hmm. uh, with logic and reason and scripture. Uh, yeah. For sure. Okay, so I've got um, I've got about two, maybe three more questions. So let's see if we can get through these pretty quickly. Um, the first one would be I, you know, there were some people who were bringing up, and and you mentioned this a little bit, but I just want to hit it a little more directly. Some people were bringing up, you know, some specific people in the Bible as a as you know proof that your you know the stance that we're taking here is not the most biblical one right so they would bring up um like rahab who's mentioned uh in the hall of faith in hebrews 11 right and then right. i saw a lot of other people also mentioning uh hosea and gomer uh sure. you know and as like positive examples of someone who is you know sexually promiscuous being being you know um either married to or praised in the Bible. Uh, so so what, what's your response quickly to both of those? Okay. Well, let, let me just clarify. The stance that we're taking in the poll is, uh, in the, uh, the polls, like in the responses and the official formal stance that I'm taking is that I think, yes, it like virginity, it's, it's okay for virginity to be a non-negotiable for a person. Mm-hmm. So I would just say that that's okay, and I'm not going to throw stones at that kind of person. And, but then neither am I going to command. So I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's okay for you know a person to say, hey, I saved myself for marriage, and I want to find someone who did that. I, I don't. I'm not going to throw stones at them, and I'm not going to call them a Pharisee. I think that's 
a perfectly fine thing to say, and that's treating virginity as a valuable thing, and it's treating fornication as a destructive thing. Uh, now, you may not be able to pull it off considering where we're at, right? Right, The pool might may, be pretty limited there. Yeah. You may want to think it through, right? Like if you're 35 yeah, yeah. and you're still holding on to that, you may want to yeah. think, well, uh, but sure, I, I'm not going to, I think it, I think I don't have anything in me that says that that's wrong. And then at the same time, I don't have anything in me that's saying um, people must have that stance. I would say that, you know, people have to think carefully about that, depending on the kind of gifts, talents, and abilities, callings that God has given to them. They may sure. need to think about these things more seriously than, you know, uh, others, you know, so that. But then, yeah, I think something like, I mean, you know, if you, if you start with the easiest one first, I mean, like, um, the easiest one is the Hosea example with Gomer. Yeah, and I would say, well, that, I don't know that anyone wants to, that would be like an argument in favor of taking it more seriously. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when, when you know, um, Hosea 1 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went in and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so, I mean, this was like an object lesson for Israel. God frequently causes the prophets to do things that are deeply shameful. And it was, it was deeply shameful for Hosea to take like an active. Uh, you know, prostitute as a wife and she abandons him, you know, in the story and he has to go and redeem her and buy her back and everything else. But I mean, she's, um, this was an object lesson, just like God made, um, I can't remember which prophet it was, but he made him cook his food over dung. Like yeah, God frequently yeah. causes like the prophets to do things that are shameful. This is an example of him doing something that is deeply shameful as an object lesson to say, Hey, um, the children of Israelites are committing spiritual whoredom against God. And, and so here's an example of, I'm going to make the prophet do this as an act of judgment on you to see the consequences of what happens. And the consequences were not good for Hosea. And because I'm like, I'm not charismatic. I don't, believe that God is going to tell any Christian personally in a still small voice that they need to go and marry an active prostitute in order to be an object lesson to our country or something along those lines. <laughs> so I think most people are safe. You know, I think most people are safe but, on that one. The likelihood is probably pretty low, right? Pretty low, right? I'm not expecting like God has finished his revelation to man. You're good. You don't have to wonder, is God calling me to you don't, go? That's not your cross to bear, man. Uh, you're, be, be free of that, you know, be free of that you know so um so no i i, I wouldn't go that route um but then I, I think rahab is just a good example of someone who obviously was like very repentant um you know she was so repentant you know that she took her life in her own hands and sheltered the spies along those lines and and you know i don't know how it i don't really know how it uh went down with uh rahab as far as that goes, I mean, she's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And so Salmon, the father of Boaz, um, let's see. Um, so, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, uh, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse. So I mean, she's listed there in the genealogy of, of Christ along those lines. So I, I think she obviously had just a reputation of being a transformed woman and those kind of things can happen. And so I, I think that, you know, the idea, like if anyone hears from anything we've said in the polls or anything else, like the idea that God can't clean someone up and God can't um, 
remove the shame of their past and God can't transform them and make them a fundamentally new person and to make them fundamentally a new person so much so that to everyone around them, they're witnessing the power of God and a transformed life. Like God can obviously do that. And I don't think there's anyone based on their past sin who's just like categorically unmarriable um, by the, you know, general Christian population or anything else. And so like, that's, I mean, I think that's just obviously an example of a, of a miracle about what God can do in the life of individuals. And I mean, I'm, you know, quite frankly, I know plenty of stories of people who like that is their testimony and you can see something just like dramatically different. And I would say that like, there's very little that's more encouraging to me personally than to see examples of like people who's like, like there's something almost more encouraging about the fact that like your life was such a mess and God fixed it, you know. So right, like yeah, the, yeah. the one who's been forgiven much loves much. I mean, I think that that's always like that's great, you know. And like I want to, like I'm frequently like very encouraged by that kind of thing, and I think that that's a testimony to God. Uh, now at the sure. same time, you know, I think you can say that, and you can also say at the same time that when you're talking about like serious life dominating sins that it's good to have some patience and to be calm and to know what you're looking at and to know that you're well past these things right and to know that not right. only are you well past them but you've dealt with like the root causes of these things you you know it's not just that you turn from the behavior but you've dealt with like the heart issues that are underneath these kind of things and i think that godly people in your life can help you to see those things that hey yeah they're a, like there's some things that are real hard to fake and when you see like a person who just looks like Jesus and smells like Jesus and talks like Jesus and acts like Jesus, like you're just in a different kind of situation, and, you know, and there may be that many people who basically says, hey, that's like virginity is a non-negotiable to me. And when they meet someone who's truly changed and transformed by the power of God, like they could look at them and say, I, I don't even like, I can't see it anymore, you know, and I truly right. can't. And so, so I think, I think that's, that's also, um, like if God wants someone to change their stance on that, he can make them change their stance on that too, based on showing him an example of something. That, but, but I mean, I just think a good exercise, I mean, a good dose of caution is always helpful in those kind of situations. Um, sure. Just based on the way life works in general, God, how his providence generally works for people. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up the, the main episode portion of this. And so we're going to move on to a Q and a section now, but before we get to that, I just want to say for, you know, anyone who's listening to this uh, in the future, whether on YouTube or, you know, on the podcast, on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, wherever uh, we want to thank all you guys uh, for the support that you show us week in and week out, whether it's interacting with us online uh, whether it's asking us questions through email or you know giving us topics to discuss in the future, interacting with the polls on Twitter, which I, I think I said this last time, but if you're not following us on Twitter, that's where all of the spiciest interactions are going down. So we want to thank we want to thank all you guys uh, for supporting us, especially financially as well, uh, which you can do. There's links to our Patreon account. Uh, in the description of the video or in the description of the podcast where you can go and support us financially. Uh, if, if you feel like that's something you want to do, we really appreciate that. And uh, until next time, we'll see you. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed 
and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.